Hello and welcome. Welcome back to All Things Urticaria. My name is Marcus, Marcus Mauer. I'm here in Berlin at the Charité You Care. And well, you know this podcast probably from previous episodes. If you haven't listened in on the previous ones, please do so. We have many interesting topics, many interesting guests and conversations. Today, I'm super happy to have Dermot. Uh, Dermot uh, and I, we've known each other for quite some time. We share an interest in urticariology, but he comes from a from a, from a, from a different background. And uh, Dermot, hi. Hi, Marcus. Good to see you and good to talk with you. Uh, Dermot, why don't we start by you introducing yourself a little bit to our listeners. Uh, where are you? What do you do? And where did your fascination with urticaria come from? Right. Well, I'm a general practitioner. I've been practicing in the UK since 1983. I qualified in the Republic of Ireland. Um, and of course, GPs in the UK look after everybody from cradle to grave with every condition known to man and some of those that are yet to be known to man, as we saw with our recent <laughs> COVID epidemic. Um, so. Early in my career, I became very interested in allergies uh, and in asthma, particularly asthma and then allergies relating to asthma. And then to some extent, I became interested in urticaria because it behaved like an allergic disease. Mm. Whereas, in fact, for the vast majority of people, it's not an allergic disease. And that in itself was a fascinating thing to find, find out and read more about the disease and manage it differently to the way that I had been managing it previously. Okay. Does it stick out um, compared to other diseases, even dermatological allergies or allergic uh, skin diseases in the challenges it poses in GP practice? Yeah, I guess the, the most common presentation that you would see would be an acute urticarial episode in somebody of all age. Mm. And for patients, and particularly patients who are, well, parents of young children, it can cause great fear, great concern, and great alarm. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you've seen these people come in and you can almost see the skin moving under your very eyes. Oh. And they are worried they're possessed by the devil or that something terrible has happened to them and that death is imminent. Uh, and they get really, really worried. And because we're not really taught much about allergies or urticaria in medical school or in our postgraduate training, GPs automatically think that this is an allergic problem. Right. And they, 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 they treat it with antihistamines. Often they treat it inappropriately with oral steroids. And very frequently, they make uh, referrals to an allergist, particularly concerned about food allergy. Yeah. Uh, and so then the patient has to go through blood tests, which can be misleading because they don't tell you anything really. Um, or a trekking to and from a hospital and the specialist may do blood tests because, as we know, not all dermatologists are well versed in urticaria. And... Uh, Allergists aren't well versed in urticaria, so you get into a situation that becomes perpetually compounded and confounded by different tests, different investigations, and different viewpoints. Rather than taking control of the acute urticaria early on in the the, the problem, 
Now, for most patients, reassurance given with authority is really, really important. I agree. From the point of view of the GP, if the urticaria occurs in isolation from any other body system, in other words, there's no wheezing, there's no fainting, there's no severe diarrhea and vomiting with it, they can be 99.9% .9 certain that this is just urticaria and nothing to do with food allergy or, or anaphylaxis. Yeah. And just grasping that simple piece of information allows you to be authoritative, I think, in the way in which you can convince the patients. Patients know when a doctor is uncertain. They can read it in their eyes. <laughs> yeah. They can listen to the uncertainty in their voice. You know, there are people like anybody else who look at the body language and the vocal behaviour of the doctor and the hesitancy if they don't feel as though they know what they're talking about. Yeah. And if you have those factors, you don't convince the patient and they will go along to see somebody else or demand to see somebody else. In some countries, they'll go directly to a specialist. Um, and that can be terrible for the patient because they're dealing with uncertainty. So the most important thing that I can give to the patient, apart from an antihistamine, is reassurance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree with you that, you know, the use of words like probably or maybe, that's not very helpful. No, <laughs> tell them what they have uh, and uh, put some confidence into patients that this is a matter of time, days a few weeks until it goes away. We're usually right. And even the, the, the sentence, if this stays on to become chronic, then come back and we'll find a solution. But, you know, all of this um, probing and testing in acute urticaria does not make a lot of sense. No, let's ask them basic questions, but let's also let them know that in more cases than not, the uh, trigger or the cause is unidentifiable and it doesn't really matter because it will solve itself in going away in a couple of days agree with you that approach is very important uh, what can we do as specialists to help uh, gps to do that more often better well i think because gps see urticaria as an allergy i think when specialists are talking about allergic conditions oh allergists are talking about allergic conditions, they should address the non-allergic conditions which pose uh, as allergic conditions. Yeah. And I think that par excellence, this is the example. Equally, dermatologists, when they're talking about acute dermatological problems, framing urticaria, acute urticaria as an acute dermatological problem, and reflecting on what you've just said, the time frame which is part of the reassurance. If this doesn't disappear in four or five days time, if this gets worse, if you start having pain in the lesions, then come straight back and exactly. we'll reconsider. But that's not likely to happen. Exactly. You know, for a while, I thought it may even be helpful to not discuss urticaria as part of what could be an allergic reaction and simply yeah. to use the words wheels or hives, just the description of what happens as this could be something that also occurs in um, a systemic allergic reaction. But more often than not, actually a lot more often than than not, urticaria, standalone wheels with angioedema uh, or, or angioedema without, uh, without the wheels is just a different entity. 
and it is not an allergy, like you say, and it doesn't require uh, allergy testing. And uh, most importantly, it doesn't come with the risk of a severe reaction, which is what people are afraid of. And I understand, you no, know, from never having had anything <laughs> um, with their skin uh, to having hundreds of wheels and feeling really miserable, this is super frightening and they need reassurance and good guidance. That's, uh, that's key here, I agree. Um, Dermot, you said something interesting uh, when you started out and that was um, parents of kids with acute urticaria. Um, do you see that as a common problem in your pediatric patients? Well, it's relatively common. So, mm. you know, in, in my practice of roughly 10,000 patients, we have four or 500 children and we have 100 births a year, roughly. Mm. Um, so we have four or 500 under the age of five. And parents are always more concerned about things that happen to their kids than about anything else. <laughs> And you have this kid with the lips might be swollen, these really big lesions on their bodies. And the child tends not to be distressed, but can be distressed because they recognize that the distress in the parents' eyes. So they feel distressed, actually, not because of the underlying problem, although clearly they may be itching, uh, but because they see their parents upset and they don't understand what's going on. So by calming things down, and reducing this problem to almost a non-problem, mm -hmm. you eliminate the parent's distress and you eliminate the child's distress and you take control of the situation because ultimately the parent is thinking, I'm completely out of control here. This is this awful thing is happening to my child. I don't know what caused it. Yep. Have I caused it? Am I to blame? Is it something I've done? Is it something I've given the child? Yep. And to be able to say, look, actually, nobody really knows. Uh, and actually, it doesn't matter because in the vast majority of cases, this will be gone in 24, 48 hours. Yeah. But take some more photographs. And I actually find with things like this, getting some pictures up on on your, your computer screen showing urticaria and what it looks like and how quickly it resolves can be very helpful because then the parent also realizes, ah, so the doctor does know what he's talking about because he's seen this before. And you can go to your Nerticaria website or DermNZ, which is a very good website, very quickly and get these pictures up. And if you want to, you can give the URL to the patient so they can read more about it themselves. Sure. So you're being very, very open about the transfer of information. Yeah. No, very good to guide uh, parents, patients to more information on urticaria. Uh, time in practice is limited. We all know that and we need to make uh, best use. And I agree with you 100%. Putting confidence and knowledge into the heads of our patients with acute urticaria is the most important thing. Of course, we treat, um, which is something to bridge the time until the disease goes away by itself, which is uh, hours, days few weeks at longest, but um, to to give that information to patients is key. And that sort of ties us into the problem of chronic urticaria. And Dermot, I want to ask you, you know, well, first, let's say that, you know, there are so many patients with acute urticaria, um, but there are also a lot of patients with chronic urticaria where this goes on. Although, of course, the, the rule is that for 
every nine or 95 uh, patients with acute urticaria, uh, only one or, or five will go on to have chronic urticaria. It's really the exception in patients with acute urticaria to develop the chronic type. But of course, because of its long duration, these are patients who need a lot of help. And again, uh, the GPs, the family doctors are on the forefront of diagnosing this, treating it as best as is possible in a GP setting. Where do you see the challenges uh, in, a, in a GP setting with chronic urticaria, spontaneous or inducible? Well, I think that people generally don't know the definition of what chronic urticaria is, i.e. a disease lasting six weeks or more. So the definition is very, very simple and very, very clear. So if you've got something lasting six weeks or more with urticaria and or angioedema, you have got chronic urticaria. Yeah. So the diagnosis, you've got the skin problem, you've, 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 you've You've got the time frame. You've got the diagnosis. You don't need to do anything else. There are no yeah. other tests for it. Yeah. It's like migraine. There are no tests for migraine. It's on history. Yeah. Now, of course, then you need to ask questions about what brings it on and maybe ancillary factors such as taking an NSAID or drinking lots of alcohol or various other things which can kind of provoke it a little bit. Uh, but again, the reassurance, I think, is really important. And the to say to patients that, in the vast majority of patients, this will eventually resolve, but that period of resolution may be months or years. So my job in the meantime is not to do any tests or investigations because nothing I'm going to do in general practice is going to make any difference. And very little that they do in specialist care is going to make any difference to this. And then yeah. we have a trial of antihistamines increasing in dose up to four times standard dose a day. If that works, we'll control you on that, but we'll stop treatment every few months to see whether this is spontaneously revolve, resolved. And if it doesn't respond to uh, high dose, uh, four times standard dose of non-sedating antihistamines, that's very important, then a referral to the specialist who will do may do further in tests, further tests, particularly looking for any inflammatory or eosinophilic disorders, um, will probably start you on a course of treatment which will alleviate your symptoms until such a time as the disease goes away. Yeah. And in the vast majority of patients, that treatment course will, sort, will sort, sort their symptoms out and allow them to live normal lives without this spontaneous eruption which can disrupt their work, can disrupt their social life, can 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 induce depression, make them very lacking in self-confidence, give them sexual difficulties. I mean, really impact every single aspect yeah. of their lives. While true words, true words, Dermot. Especially that the the last ones uh, are so important to include in the conversation. Patients don't know that we know how stupid of a disease this is, and yeah. uh, it makes sense to say these words. You know, we know how troublesome this uh, disease is, and I and I know how much it impacts every part of your life. We want to help you get this under control and to protect you from the signs and symptoms. That's important for patients to hear. Just like that first sentence you said, this will go away. I find myself saying that 10 times a day with every patient I see. It is a, a really one of the most important sentences we can say when 
uh, we talk to patients with patients uh, with chronic urticaria. Deborah, I want to go back to um, uh, the diagnostic workup, or actually the diagnosis of chronic urticaria. You know that there are studies out there that say it takes patients with chronic spontaneous urticaria three years before they get a diagnosis or the correct diagnosis. So apparently um, they don't get this the first time they see one of us. How does this happen? It's not it's not a difficult disease to diagnose, or is it? It's not the diagnosis. So most GPs, as I said to you earlier, haven't any training in, in allergy. Many don't have any training in dermatology, mm. either as undergraduates or as postgraduates. We all know that antihistamines help with the itching uh, and also reducing the, the lesion count uh, and so forth in, in, in urticaria. But the sledgehammer in primary care to crack all inflammatory nuts is steroids. Yeah. So it gives a course of steroids and it goes away until the next time. There is a lack of awareness of the biologics which have now become available, particularly for asthma, urticaria, and atopic dermatitis. So you will see a similar delay in diagnosis of people with uh, what you might call persistent severe asthma on high level of treatment, uh, persistent mistreatment because you don't know there's anything better yeah. of atopic dermatitis and three or four years delay before they get in front of a specialist. Yeah. And the same would applies with chronic urticaria. And of course, we probably see chronic urticaria less frequently than we see uh, severe atopic dermatitis. So it's 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 a somewhat unknown quantity. And when you're dealing with unknown quantity, but you have a, a, a medication which works, i.e. oral steroids, you think you're doing the right thing. But the recent evidence over the last three or four years, the emerging evidence of the dangers of long-term oral steroids, A, or B, frequent intermittent courses of oral steroids in terms of obesity, diabetes, osteoporosis, fractures, cataracts, is accumulating by the month. Uh, and we need to get away from this model of care of emergency rescue medication with oral steroids and get to the underlying problem and treat the underlying problem, generally speaking, with biologic uh, medications. Couldn't agree more, Dermot. Very, very true. It's a, it's really a nightmare uh, how often cortisone and glucocorticosteroids are being used in chronic spontaneous urticaria. They have no place in the long-term treatment of this disease. It's all about preventing wheels. It's all about preventing angioedema, not reacting to them as they occur. And especially not with steroids. You know, you mentioned some of the side effects. There are many more. Yes. And uh, patients often come to me after years of steroid abuse, really. You no, know? And it's often more than one colleague who contributed to this in that patients see that it works. And then their doctor says, well, you shouldn't be taking this all the time. And they say, but it works. And the doctor says, but it's also got a lot of side effects. And oof. Off they are to the next uh, doctor who will give them more cortisone. Um, yeah, it's really, really bad. I, I recently read a study that talks about 20% 
of um, of patients in GP practice being treated with uh, a steroid, and I'm sure it happens in specialist practice as well. And, and uh, to one of your earlier points, I'm I'm not sure that AD is so much more common than chronic urticaria, but I think it is um, uh, in our in how we perceive the disease in that often patients are in our office with chronic spontaneous urticaria, not a single wheel to show us. No, this is very different with the topic dermatitis patients who will be ready to roll up their sleeves and show us their arms. And here it is. And now it's clear. It uh, may actually be easier for physicians to see the disease, of course, but also what it does to patients based on the clinical picture that they present with, which is why I'm working a lot with uh, photographs. No, I, I ask my right. patients to use the app and to show me uh, uh, the, the pictures they have taken with it, or the pictures that they have on their phone. I, I think that's probably a good good advice all around. Great advice. I think the, 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 the apps which are available for urticaria the ability to take photographs and also to do scoring systems to, to so you can judge the severity uh, of the disease because as you say when the patient comes they may be completely without any lesion at all when they're sitting in front of you and some people think oh maybe these people are mad or they have fictitious disease or they make it up uh, because that does happen as well uh, and that's even worse for the patient because then the patient loses the confidence in the in in the profession yeah. so the app can be a really good tool to engage the patient. And I think using phrases like, let's go on this journey together mm -hmm. to find out how best to manage your treatment mm -hmm. yeah. and gather the evidence so that when you go and see the specialist, you've got a ready-made case. The diagnosis is very clear. The specialist may wish to do one or two other tests as the field is advancing, uh, but by and large, you should be, then be a shortcut to treatment rather than, than, than going elsewhere. And I mean, I like in the UK with asthma now, we have special asthma clinics for people with 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 severe asthma. Mm -hmm. And I like your I don't think there are any severe urticaria clinics established in the UK yet. Certainly not. I'm not aware of them. But I, I really like your idea of the UK clinics and being accredited to provide urticaria treatment. Because we know when you look at the literature that urticaria is not as badly, but nearly as badly, mismanaged in secondary care by dermatologists and allergists as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. There are, by the way, a couple of urticariologists specialty centers uh, as part of the UCARE network in the UK. Uh, so for those of our listeners who uh, would like to find out where they are, please go to our website and, and check it out. But not enough, for sure. No, there's not enough specialists, uh, not enough uh, urticariologists out there. And that maybe brings me to my last question to you, Dermot. How can we make the interaction between GPs and the specialists better? What is it that you want from us? Um, what? How can we? How can we help the management of chronic urticaria in general practice? I think it's through postgraduate education and CME modules in person or online accredited. Uh, so most GPs throughout Europe have to do some amount of CME. We have to do 50 hours a week and then we have to reflect upon it and 
put it into a, a into a folder online and it's assessed and we're assessed every year. Um, so people are looking out for new things to do, whether mm -hmm. and the the allergy field presents lots of opportunities. So people are very worried about their knowledge of food allergy, anaphylaxis, urticaria, uh, latex allergy and so on and so forth. This is a, a goldmine opportunity for anybody with allergic and pseudo-allergic diseases. I say pseudo-allergic for the reasons I've described earlier yeah. to, to, to get that information out there. There are also um, two, three-day knowledge events in the UK that specialists could go and present at. Our GPs with a special interest yeah. go uh, and, and present at and give people the confidence through their experience in managing this because it's confidence. GPs who don't, if we don't know something, then we yeah. can't be confident about it. But when it's so easy to grasp, yeah. relatively easy to grasp, we should be able to grasp it rapidly and then be confident about it. Always yeah. recognizing that as if there are any other systemic signs or symptoms, you need to look elsewhere and, and think about anaphylaxis. Uh, uh, absolutely agree. Dermot, how do we best do that? Uh, is it online programs? Is it these face-to-face -face training programs that are best received or doable for GPs? Every country has its own, got its own uh, different network. So we have GP magazines. So you have the, you're like the house arts in Germany. And mm -hmm. You put articles or modules in that. We have uh, the adopters.org.uk companies put educational mo mo companies and individuals put educational modules on that. There are commercial organizations that run these two to three day events and they can put commercial modules. Uh, yeah. uh, they commercialize the education and you can buy a slot in that and, and, and put a, a module in that uh, because you're not going to attract something just from urticaria alone. You have to put it in the context of, yeah. of I guess, overall patient care. Sure. Uh, so those would be the, some of the different and, uh, avenues. And in the United Kingdom, although I'm not a member of it, there's a primary care dermatological society which produces a wealth of material. That is great. And we have a long way to go, but we're on that path. The UCARE, for example, has the UCARE for You uh, program for patients and the UCARE Level Up programs for physicians, including GPs. So there are already some modules out there, some educational programs and activities that people can benefit from. But thank you for that tip. We will certainly look into getting information to GPs that way. Dermot, we're at the end of our time. I can't believe it, but um, that was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm not going to let you go without um, uh, asking you my last question, and that is, if you had one thing to say to your GP friends and colleagues about urticaria, what would it be? Urticaria is not a threat. It's really simple to manage. It really takes 10 to 15 minutes educational time to understand it. And of course, I did write a wonderful paper in Allergy, which is free online, which is a review of urticaria management in primary care. You, you might want to put the URL in, in the podcast somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for pitching that. It's a great paper. I enjoyed uh, working with you on that a lot. And we will put it in the in, in the show notes so that people can read up. It's uh, open access. So uh, free for all and great advice. Dermot, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. This was really fun and helpful. My pleasure. Great to see you again. <laughs>
same here. Um, people, you were with us for another episode of All Things Urticaria. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to all the previous ones, please go back and see what is of interest to you. And if you have feedback for us, please do share. We would also love to hear your ideas on upcoming episodes, um, topics, questions that we should touch on. We received quite a bit over the last weeks, but we can always use more. So do let us know what you like, what you like more of. Until we hear each other for the next time, thank you very much for joining and be well. Bye-bye.